You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today are two of my regular panelists, freelance writer Rob Zachney. Hello, everyone. And back by popular demand, Dr. Bruce Garrick. Hello, gamers. <laughs> See, everyone misses you, Bruce. Everyone keeps emailing, where's Bruce? Where's Bruce? Where's Bruce? Did you know you would become the most popular person on a podcast? On a podcast that I'm not even on. I know, it's remarkable. I think that's why you're the most popular member. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Ron, nobody would ever be like, God, that guy's annoying. It's good to have you back, uh, finally, and hopefully you can come back again next week and we can talk about something where you and Tom can have a big fight, which is why everybody tunes in. Uh, but today we want to talk about... Um, Go back and something we haven't done in a while, and that is talk about a particular theme uh, in games, not a particular game in itself. And this is one that Rob came up with, talking about uh, tanks, more or less. Uh, armored battles in World War II, East Front versus West Front. And some of this is motivated by Rob spending a lot of time with Octung Panzer, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to tell our listeners about Octung Panzer. So that they're familiar with it, it's a paradox-produced game, but it's developed by um, developed by Graviteam. Uh, they're actually tank sim developers. Uh, they produce Steel Fury, um, which I'm not a tank sim guy, so I haven't played it. But apparently, it's a really well-regarded uh, World War II tank sim. Um, and I mean, their sim background definitely shows up in this game. It's got some of the best armored combat I've seen in a war game, um, and it takes place during the Third Battle of Kharkov. Um, but it's an unusual game, um, in part because you are basically commanding, like, a battalion, and you have, like, it's an operational map that you commit, that you, um, order your troops around on, and that's where the turn-based combat happens, and you move companies and platoons around on the uh, operational map, and then when two units sort of clash in a square. It's all it's all grid-based. When two units clash over a square, you enter real-time tactical combat. Um, and it's reminiscent both of combat mission and uh, close combat. It's it's very much a hybrid between the two. Yeah, this is something I wasn't quite sure if it would work very well when I saw it uh, in Stockholm at the Paradox thing. They just showed a video of it. And, of course, in a video, strategy games do not show well in YouTube videos. I don't know why they bother doing that. Just showing stuff moving around at very high, high speeds. Look at this turn-based thing. Everything's moving so fast. Well, I have no idea what anything is. So it's kind of pointless to show me that. Uh, didn't explain any of it. Then I got in and I played it, and it is really an unusual hybrid uh, because it is strictly turn-based for until you jump, and then you have to go into this real-time mode. It really involves you planning where you want your troops to be to fight the real-time battle uh, that's going to be coming soon. Um, and then, of course, spending your airstrikes and your artillery strikes. And uh, it's quite a novel experience. I'm not quite sure how I feel with the entire package. I like it. Um, and I'm not sh- quite sure I see a whole lot of combat mission in it, to be honest, except for the fact that there's some there's a deployment phase. You haven't had any time to play this, of course, Bruce. Uh, no, I actually just got home like 15 minutes ago and was... Uh trying to find the link where I can actually buy it and download it. So uh, I'm going to be flying blind on this one. Okay. Well, we can talk in general about uh, tanks in general. I mean, Rob, you said it's one of the best examples of armored combat you've seen. Yeah. And what I'd would be you very ho- interested in why that is. Yes. 
Um, well, I mean, you know, one, one caveat: I generally don't like armored combat, um, and what? part of that's you like Mech Warrior. <laughs> okay, yes, I like I like Mech Warrior. Okay, uh, but I usually don't like I don't usually like World War II tank combat, and one reason for that is I tend to be more of a Western Front guy, and Tank warfare on the Western Front, I usually find, is more of an exercise in frustration than something I really enjoy. Um, and one, one, of the re- one of the problems I have with tank warfare in general is it, tanks are kind of weird. Um, they're incredibly powerful on the battlefield, um, except they're also weirdly fragile. Um, it's very easy for your tank assault to completely disintegrate just because of a couple lucky shots, and then your entire game is just thrown into chaos. And... Um, Honestly, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't deal with that sort of thing with much equanimity. Um, I often find it infuriating when a freak shot just blows through, you know, rear armor and destroys my only tiger tank. That's just, that's just enraging. Well, um, Greg Costa would have a big problem with you. Pardon? Wouldn't Greg Costa have a big problem with with that because of his uh, uh, fascination with randomness in gaming? I have no idea. Greg Costa has a fascination with randomness in gaming. Oh, uh, we'll talk about that later. Okay, next. Okay. All right, well, yeah, so so anyway, the, the the issue is, I mean, I, I rarely feel that tanks, the way tanks are in war games, they, they they do not seem to be the way I think tanks should be. They, they, they are something I end up treating almost like they're these delicate little units that I have to bring out in very controlled situations that can, like, kill infantry or sneak up on an enemy tank and, uh, you know, win the battle for me. And so I end up being more protective of my tanks. I don't get... They make me the opposite. They make me very cautious. Uh, this game, it's you really get a sense for how powerful these things are and how much punishment they can take. Um, and one reason for that is the tanks are very... They're modeled in great detail. And so you will see these shots impacting. You'll see damage reports coming up for each of them. And so a tank will get hit over and over again, and subsystems will begin to go out. Um, it's not like you will just you're just stuck with, you know, the round bounces off. There's penetration. Crew members hurt. Uh, penetration. Tank explodes. That doesn't happen. You get much more of a. Uh, the tank is basically driven down to the dirt. Um, and I find it's it's much more satisfying. It's it makes the tank battles uh, much more slugging matches the way I sometimes feel they should be, rather Do you think than. Oh, has any basis in reality? Um, boy, you know I. I don't know. I don't, I don't know about. I don't know enough about Eastern Front tank warfare. Honestly, what about Western Front tank warfare. In Western Front tank warfare, uh, tanks should just blow the hell up if they're Shermans. That's my understanding. Uh, one of the reasons tank warfare on the Western Front kind of sucks is because um, Sherman versus Panther is not a good matchup. That's true, but that's only talking about tank versus tank combat, right? Right. Right. I mean, you can have tank warfare on the Western Front with tanks versus infantry, or tank, you know, Sherman versus Panzerfaust. That's true, but it it often happens in very constrained circumstances. A lot of times, like, if it's a hedgerow campaign, the tank isn't really allowed to reach its full potential, right? Because hedgerows are terrible tank country. Like, what um, if so it's Japan or Frele's Pocket or one of the big wide open, uh, or what if it's like, uh, uh, you know, the breakout from Sedan or uh, any of the other wide open uh, Western Front uh, tank uh, combat type things? Well, how many great, how many war games really focus on those engagements, though? Well, I think there are plenty of combat mission uh, 
uh, um, Beyond Overlord and uh, actually in Africa Corps too. I think there was some Western Front stuff that dealt with, uh, you know, didn't didn't deal with hedgerows at all. Um, I don't know. I mean, there. Are, I think there are. I mean, yes, there are plenty of um, there are plenty of uh, you know claustrophobic constrained scenarios in uh, in. Uh, you know, Western Front combat, but I mean, I, I I don't know. I mean, I feel a lot of plenty of constraint. Com- I, I this whole thing actually, this is going to get me going because I I really actually was going to. That's one of the things when when you were emailing and you guys were discussing what we were talking about in the show. I was going to kind of challenge the whole idea that you know what that uh, you know Western Front tank combat is um, you know is this constrained claustrophobic space, and that Eastern Front tank combat is this wide open thing. I mean, there's a lot of combat on the Eastern Front that uh, you know that wasn't. Uh, that wasn't, um, uh, you know, wide open step, especially stuff, uh, you know, around Leningrad and, uh, you know, battle for Sevastopol. Um, the, um, uh, you know, a lot of, the, obviously Stalingrad, but, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff in, uh, you know, um, uh, Veliki Luki. I mean, there's a whole bunch of battles that don't really fit the whole, uh, whole mold. And I just mentioned, you know, Felix Pocket Mortan and all the encirclement battles of, uh, you know, the breakout from Normandy plus the breakout from Sedan, uh, and then if you want to throw in the Western Front, if you want to throw the desert in the Western Front, then there's definitely, you know, that's, that's certainly, I think the desert is actually the best place for tank battles. That's my favorite uh, theater for that. But, um, so I, I'm really curious, not, I don't think that, I mean, Kharkov, by the way, was a city, and there was a lot of, uh, you know, house-to-house oh, fighting in the, you know, all the battles of Kharkov. Actually, that's that's something I should clarify. Um, Panzer, ironically enough, doesn't actually deal with the fighting in the city proper. Um, you are a battalion commander, and you are you're dealing with a very small pocket of uh, the front line around Kharkov. Um, and what you're dealing with is primarily the outskirts. So you're fighting in the flatland surrounding the city. And actually, it, I think it's all like on the southern flank of the Kharkov. Engagement. I think you're right. So you're not even you're not even really where the uh, major breakthrough happened to the north. Um, now, is this it, it's another thing you, you said that is uh, it's also kind of confusing to me because. I was reading the uh, advertisement for uh, Panzer, mm-hmm. and it said that I was going to be an army commander. And so, therefore, I assumed that I would be, you know, commanding an army, which would have, you know, divisions in it. But it turns out that I'm not. It turns out that I'm commanding some company or something. Is that true? Yeah, you're, you're definitely commanding a battalion. Uh, you are... Uh, on the operational map, you are moving companies around, okay. and when engagements begin, the smallest unit you can order is a squad. And but when the largest unit I can and order around is um, battalion. No, that's on the operations map. You are a battalion commander. There are no other battalions you're a battalion around. Battalion you. commander. So you're not an army commander. So so uh, so paradox is already engaged in a, in a very very uh, dubious disinformation campaign. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible that a lot of people might just think that anyone commanding any sort of troops at all is an army commander. But the people that are this game is is uh, uh, aimed. Uh, will fi- they will find these? They will the find audience, that a damnable lie. The intended audience will find this to be a dastardly lie and uh, misinformation. Well, and, I, I think the screenshots might give the game away, Val. Do you think? <laughs> I, th- I think if you're an ar- I think if you're an army commander in World War II, you're not going to be having this lovely 3D engine with like individual tanks and soldiers running around. Well, you know, you never know. 
I mean, I, I can always... By the way, this... Uh, Grab Team, did they make Steel Fury Karkov 1942? Yes, they did. Yeah. Is that, like, the same game? Only the no, second Battle of Karkov? Yeah, it's the, se- it's the second Battle of Karkov, but it's not the same game, because that's a sim. That's just a straight sim. You, con- oh, you, you, oh, yeah, ah, you drive ah, the tank. Said it, that's a sin, and I was like, oh, yeah, it is a sin to make two games. <laughs> Actually, it's a sim. Yeah, a sim where you drive the tank uh, in Steel really? Fury. Oh, yes. oh, okay, but hang on. I, w- I want to go back to... I didn't properly phrase my, my problem with Armored Warfare. Okay. My, my, my problem tends to be this. First, first of all, I, I generally prefer uh, commanding infantry in war games. Um, I just really enjoy infantry combat. So, for instance, uh, in the old close combat games, I think Bridge Too Far is the best game in that series, hands down. I love the street fighting and you know the, the fighting in the villages and everything. I really thought that Close Combat 3, uh, which is Eastern Front, I thought that was a misstep. And my big objection is I, I find it... I f- it's, it's a rare war game, I find, that manages to make uh, infantry and armor coexist happily and interestingly on the battlefield. Except for advanced squad leader. You don't think a combat mission did that, Rob? Um, well, I mean, hang on. I, I mean, for, for me, combat mission is kind of like the gold standard. Of, to to qualify that, I only played Beyond Overlord. Okay. So I, I skipped uh, Barbarossa to Berlin. Actually, I actually would would say that combat, that that, ar- that infantry and armor and combat mission are not very well integrated, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the same sketchy evidence that Rob uh, went on earlier, and I, I certainly applaud him for going with his gut, which is what I'm going on, which is that it just doesn't feel quite right. And Why not? It was like that, and you know, uh, if I you know if I ever come back as some kind of uh, you know, German Panzer Grenadier, uh, I can uh, verify that and then let you know later. But, um, uh, you know, it just, it doesn't feel, it, it seems to me a little bit random because the infantry uh, in close combat against tanks supposedly really effective, but they, the problem is they never get close enough or they always, you know, fail their uh, the morale check. Yeah. Close combat morale check, which yeah. is what always happens to my guys in, uh, in, uh, Advanced squad leaders that they just they they fail morale check and then they can't get in close combat. But um, uh, so you know, I, I'd be interested to to know from uh, from Rob what 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 do you think? I mean, what does it do? I, the whole thing about you know um, you know the damage progressively destroying your mech is uh, is really uh, uh, is really intriguing. Although I, my understanding is that's not really how things happen. You basically the, the shells would either penetrate and do a lot of damage or they would bounce off uh, or you get like concussion effects but you, you really wouldn't have like oh you know I can't turn left or you know oh you know my uh, you know our, our maximum speed is down by 33% right well uh, I, that's not my understanding that now I, I've read a lot of accounts of of armored combat but in World War II, but I actually wasn't in armored combat in World War II, so I can I can be completely wrong. All right. Well, yeah. um, Listen, I, I want to get back to the you said, Bruce. And I think it's tied tied into something the discussion we're having here is this whole it doesn't feel right that some of there's a sense that we as gamers this belief that we have what war is supposed to be like 
that somehow through we have the sense that the tanks are supposed to break down gradually like a battleship would, for example, or that infantry is supposed to behave differently in a battle. What are our expectations we bring to a World War II combat sim like Octung Panzer, which has a lot of really neat touches in it. You know, the infantry will climb onto the back of a tank if they're going to be going for a long distance and it's going to be safe so that uh, they'll just hop on on their own to get the ride. Some really neat... Uh, period stuff that, we, that we've seen in movies. We've seen in uh, Band of Brothers and stuff, so that, that looks right. But how do we know a game feels right if we're, we're not, you know, experts like you are, uh, uh, Panzer Bruce? I'm not an expert, by the way. I, know. I want to make, make sure, sure, sure everybody listening to this podcast, I'm not an expert in any way in Eastern Front Armored Combat. I've read a lot about it, right. and I enjoy reading about it and studying it, but I mean, I, wasn't, I have no idea. I mean, it, all this stuff could be complete hooey, right? I mean, all, all the things that I think about, you know, Panther tanks could really be wrong. And I just sort of... It could all, all, all have come from the games you've played. Yeah, they pretty much do. All, all of my understanding of combat in World War II comes from books I've read and, and, and to some extent, games I've played. And, and, I mean, one of those games is, you know, Advanced Squad Leader, and God knows how, you know, that may not be very realistic. So, I mean, you read accounts of armored combat, and you sort of extrapolate that. And then you see photos, and then you sort of make a you know a story out of the photos that you see, and and um, uh, I just um, I just think that uh, uh, a lot of this stuff that you know gamers have very specific preferences that may not really be you know quote realistic you know close quote. So Rob, go ahead. I'm right. I'm, I'm talking. About it. Well, I I think one thing. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I agree. We we don't. We fundamentally can't know what it was like, especially about some of these really technical aspects of warfare, you know, like, I mean, not many people have the experience of, you know, fighting a platoon of panzers anymore. That, that knowledge is kind of lost. We, we, you know, historians can sort of describe what it was like based on accounts, but we can't really know. But I, I think it is important that a game sort of has to pay respect to what our intuitive understanding of what a war would, would be like, of, what, of, what, of how combat unfolds. And just one example off the top of my head. Um, calling in art- and artillery, artillery fire, support fire from off-map. Um, I find that, and this is something uh, Oxygen Panzer does really, really well, um, I find that in a lot of games, when you call in artillery strike, it's this, it's a really annoying process of trying to guess, you know, where the hell are these guys going to be when the shells begin to fall? Um, and a lot of times, it's very, unless they stupidly, like, just stand still, and are shooting it out with you while you just line up your 155s to blast them. Um, you know, you're probably going to have a lot of frustrating misses. Um, and you just intuitively, you think artillery spotters couldn't have been that brittle. You know, they they couldn't have been like, well, sorry, I can't I can't adjust this the, the, these shots because um, I called in the strike and it's locked. Uh, but right. a lot of games do treat it that way, where you call it on this grid, and that's where the shells are going to fall whether or not the spotter can see that there's obviously no one there anymore is not going to be adjusted. You just burned a strike on an empty grid. Um, Octane Panzer, the way it handles it is you get the spotter in position. He's the guy with the radio. Um, he starts calling in coordinates, and within a minute or two, the first shots begin to fall. And it's very quick. It's you know He can cancel the strike midway through uh, the moment it's you know going going astray or something. It's all very fast. It all happens about the way you'd expect 
an artillery spotter to work. And so many games just don't do this. Okay, well, can I, can I have a counterpoint to that? Yeah, go ahead. That's almost certainly not how it ever happened. So the one thing that games always take out of the equation is spotting rounds. Okay, so the way artillery strikes actually got called in, or uh, once again, you know, maybe in, there's a giant conspiracy that has has. Uh, Octoon Panzer does, by the way. Okay, all right. So that so there's that's the first thing. So the way I understand it is that an artillery spotter would almost you couldn't really call in a fire for effect just calling it up. You would have to place a spotting round. Then you could you could either adjust the spotting round or convert the spotting round to you know usually the first spotting round didn't really land where it was supposed to land. Right, so then you adjust it, and then the the and depending on you know the the um, skill and uh, coordination of your of your artillery uh, uh, batteries, you know you, it would be, be more or less likely to correct to something that the spotter called in, and then after some adjustment, then you could call in a fire for effect. Now the um, the uh, Time involved in getting a uh, in getting a spotting round placed, and then having that corrected, and then having that converted to a fire effect was, I think, pretty different among the various armies. And like. German uh, artillery uh, efficiency was much better until later than Soviet artillery efficiency. So it was very difficult for Soviets to uh, what they usually used was pre-plotted. Uh, was was uh, you know they'd map out where their strikes were going to be and that's basically where they had to go. So um, and it also uh, is uh, in keeping with uh, their sort of like plan. There's a whole there's a whole bunch of different uh, things that I think don't get um, done well in war games regarding uh, Soviet battle doctrine, which was very orchestrated and pre-planned and. You were. I, I, this is actually, and that's something that's that's what the Soviets continue throughout the Cold War. Very strict. Exactly. They, uh, they had a lot of very poorly trained troops that really didn't respond well to uh, to uh, you know tactical changes. Now, if you read about the history of the war, the uh, Soviets were great you know learners, and you know as the war progressed, the uh, you know Soviet junior officers, you know the ones that didn't get killed or captured. Learned from the Germans very well, and uh, you know the tactical skill of uh, of the two sides actually became uh, much more uh, much more equal. You know, you know, post nineteen you know forty three or so. So um, you know, I think that there's a lot of stuff. I mean, stuff feels like you know we should be able to call this stuff in. We should be able to uh, you know get this stuff adjusted. And, and I understand exactly what what Rob is saying. You know, he's got a, an excellent point, which is that. A lot of this stuff doesn't really feel right. My my kind of feeling about this stuff is that once crazy stuff started happening on the battlefield, I'm shocked and amazed that anybody could get on a radio and actually call a bunch of other guns like miles away and say, "Hey, your round landed, you know, 500 meters, you know, north northwest of where I wanted it. Can you fix that?" And then somebody that like actually changes a gun, you know, miles away. And it actually lands 500 meters, you know, south southeast of the original round, and then everybody blasts the hell out of everything. So, to me, anytime a you know an artillery barrage lands and actually does anything, it seems kind of amazing. <laughs> so, but I, I want to go. I, wanna, I really want Rob to to tell me about um, 
you know, how the, the infantry and, and, and tanks uh, get integrated. Because I have, I really, Rob, can you, can you tell us more about the about the tactical game? Not the, not the turn-based game, but, but the actual real-time game. I mean, what happens? Is it plausible? Is it, it's, you, yeah, it's sure? plausible. Yeah, so t- tell, tell us about that. Um, yeah, okay, so, I mean, the operational map determines what's going to be there on the battlefield, okay? So, like, a company wanders into another company, and then you go and fight over that square on the operation map, and that you basically go inside that square and you fight a battle on it. Um, and whatever units are nearby get pulled into that combat. Um, so, I mean, you know, a recon company blunders into another recon company, but there's tank elements and uh, mechanized infantry elements nearby, you're going to have a huge dust-up over two recon companies bumping into each other. And you lay them out um, on a series of subgrids. The, the, way, the way it breaks down is the tactical map's broken up into little tiny squares, and that's, sort of the, that's, that's basically your, your terrain. Um, whatever, the three, whatever the 3D display is showing you, it's calculating hexes, uh, not hexes, squares. Um, and it's plausible, so it unfolds in real time. You, you deploy, you deploy, um, you start the battle, and it unfolds in real time. Eventually, contact is made. You hit enter and stop the game, and then you begin issuing orders, and then you resume the game, and you see units responding. Yeah, can you can you replay? Oh you God, keep- I haven't I haven't found it. Okay, so I, I have a. This is one of my pet peeves about things, and one of my my many theories that I is half written up in some kind of stupid word document that is going to be an article someday when I actually have a life again. Um, so I really think that real time tactical combat just doesn't work. Period. And that's it doesn't work. That's pretty harsh. Yes. And it doesn't work for the following reason. That everything that you see in a game is what matters. And if you don't see it, it didn't happen. And it's all about Tom Chick and his, uh, and his uh, you know, games tell their own stories rather than, you know, games telling scripted stories. And uh, I think that's why I think Combat Mission really is the best kind of game, best kind of uh, tactical war game, because... You can see every story play out, and games that don't have a replay, the, the most amazing turning point, climactic part of the battle can happen, and you can not see it, hmm. and then it's completely irrelevant. And I, I kind of liken it to like a, a turn-based role-playing game where you have some thief, right, and all he does is throw daggers during combat, and usually, you know, it doesn't do anything, and kind of useless, and you do one to four, you know, hit points of damage each time, except you have some set-piece combat, and in a, uh, you know, real-time game, it's plausible, sure, but, you know, all these guys are hitting things, and you have some monster that you're almost, you know, almost wiping out your party, and then all of a sudden he gets killed, okay, and you don't really see why, but it just happened, all of a sudden everybody's almost dead, and then the monster's dead, and you win, and you're happy. Well, in a, in a tactical game, Everything you do makes a difference because you can see it happen. So your thief that's standing in the back throwing the daggers, you may not have realized in the real time game because you're just kind of watching all everything happen. But you know your uh, you know your paladin was about to die, and your you know uh, uh, your wizard was out of spells, and your cleric didn't have any healing left, and 
the monster had four hit points and or like eight hit points or something. And uh, the thief threw his threw his dagger and it did four hit points. Critical hit eight exactly kills the monster, saves you, right? But you would never know that unless you actually, you know, saw it happen. And in these big games, you know, where everything's real time, there's no replay. You can't do that. And combat mission totally solved that problem by the reasoning that, uh, you know, you give all these people orders, all your troops, all your tanks, whatever, and you play it out. But then you can play it back from any angle. And right. that's what's that's what's so great about that game is that, you know, you have some strong point where, uh, you know, all your attention is focused. You know, you've got tanks bearing down on it, you've got artillery hitting it, you've got, you know, air support, whatever. And, uh, you know, you've got uh, you know, all your big guns coming up on it, and then you don't realize that you had some squad that was kind of flanking the whole thing, and they got in behind into, like, some building with a clear line of fire and then set up their machine gun, and all of a sudden, all the reinforcements that, the, that your opponent had coming up to that strong point got cut off because they couldn't cross some, you know, street or they couldn't get across some gully or something because this one little squad cut them all off with their machine gun. So everybody, all of his reinforcements are cut off, and then you capture the strong point. Well, capturing the strong point's great, but the whole story is about that one squad. Or, you know, it's the one squad that held out, uh, you know, against all these tanks and, uh, you know, held up some assault so that all your reinforcements could get there. And if you don't see that, it's really like the tree, if the tree uh, falls in the forest and it, uh, you know, nobody's there, in gaming it absolutely doesn't make any sound because the only point of the game is to entertain you. And if you don't see something happen, then it really didn't. And I think mm-hmm. that that's the big problem with real-time uh, tactical gaming is that, it, you're, you you miss so much that actually matters. I mean, you miss the little things always make the game, and in a right. tactical real time game, you you don't you're you're likely not to see it because the thing that you're concentrating on might not actually be the thing that that uh, you know that made the difference. The straw that broke the camel's back is somewhere else, and it's some you know small little thing that y- you missed in combat mission. You're going to see it because what you're going to do is you're going to play through and you're like, wow, how come those guys back there didn't make it? And then you scroll around and you have the free camera and you scroll, you know, you, you, you pan and you see, oh my God, look at those guys. There's like two guys. My, my squad is composed of two guys, but they got up into that room and they had a clear line of fire and they're on the first floor and they had, you know, uh, complete, uh, uh, complete line of sight behind that enemy strong point. And all those enemy uh, infantry couldn't make it, and then that's why my assault teams uh, captured it. So I think that for that reason, tactical, real-time tactical gaming is much less interesting to me because I'm not. If I keep pausing the game to to look at the whole the whole battlefield, it kind of breaks my concentration. Second of all, you still, no matter how often you pause, you still can't pay attention to everything. Right. So, I mean, when you did the combat mission, uh, Tom versus Bruce, that's one of my favorite uh, Tom versus Bruce's ever. Uh, Barbarossa, Barbarossa to Berlin, and I won, by the way. You did, uh, and it was not an easy fight. Um, you were running out of tanks, as I recall. And it, did you use the free play camera? Did you replay that? Did you? Oh, take- every every uh, every turn. You know, I looked through, and you know. You know how did this happen? Why did why did those you know there were there were so many interesting points in that battle. There was a the time where uh, I, you know I planned out this this uh, 
you know, meticulous, meticulous uh, assault where I loaded up all my guys in half tracks and then drove them up to the town that Tom was defending. And Tom executed this brilliant, just brilliant ambush. I mean, it was really, I can't believe I'm complimenting Tom, uh, but I guess he's not here, so it didn't really happen. But, um, uh, you know, it, it is brilliant ambush, and I saw every single part of it. Every squad that Tom used, I got to see him stick it in my face. Now, in a real-time game, everything would have kind of blown up, and I would have been like, oh, no, oh, that's, oh, that guy, you know, and those guys. But in that moment of, a, of ambush that Tom set up, right. I went through. I checked every single line of fire, what happened to every single half-track I had, where all my guys, and, and it was all these little episodes, right? It was like, you know, half-track number one pulled up to, you know, farmhouse A, and then, you know, I had these guys trailing behind him, and it, they kind of, two of them uh, kind of peeled off to take the farmhouse behind that. And, you know, what happened to those two guys when the guy in front got attacked? And, you know, it, it really played out really well, and, and uh, it, was, I mean, it was fascinating. And uh, it, the game was so enjoyable, even when I, you know, even at that moment where it was, you know, complete, I thought I had this great assault and he completely blew it up. And then there was another one where, um, where he had this uh, uh, tank came out and uh, was just completely, completely rampaging through my half tracks and picking them off one by one. And uh, he got taken out by, uh, I think one, I can't remember exactly where that, but one of my infantry squads took out the tank and. When I was watching it, and when I was watching the the turn, I was just I was I was focused on my half tracks. I was focused on them. You know, like, oh, is that guy getting away? No. Oh, he blew up. Oh, is that guy getting away? Oh, no. And I would see each one, and then all of a sudden his tank blew up, and I couldn't figure out why. And it took a couple replays to see. Oh, you know that Panzerfaust took out his tank, and then I then I went back even further and watched. You know, where did that pants? How did? Where was he before this tank started rampaging? They moved, you know, up uh, into the second floor of a building, and then, uh, as I recall, I mean, I could be remembering this all wrong, but it doesn't matter because that's what I remember. So that must be what happened. Right. Uh, there will be a, really, there will be a link to that uh, Tom versus Bruce, yeah. which is online at the bottom of the podcast. So I mean, all that stuff was all that stuff was just so, you, and you discovered it. You know, you discovered yeah. it. You know minute by minute and you replayed it and you looked at it and you saw, oh look what those guys did. And there was the there was the um there was the tank that uh was was firing um uh he, the armor uh I had a Tiger two, I think, that uh was firing armor piercing rounds and he ran out of them and all of a sudden he started firing high explosives. And we didn't really realize it until uh, un- until we kind of replayed it, and then he started firing smoke rounds because he was out, you know, <laughs> anything. It was it was hilarious, and and uh, you know, all that stuff is are things that um, that we only really appreciated because we could replay the game or replay the turn. Because uh, you know, other stuff was happening on the battlefield, and if I hadn't been able to replay the turn, I would have either missed that or I've missed everything else because you can really only pay attention to one thing at a time. And that that part was so compelling that. All the other stuff that was happening on the battlefield at that time, you know, would have gone unnoticed. So I really don't think real-time tactical gaming is appropriate for war games, or especially for it's, it's not appropriate for tactical war games. I don't think it is, um, and uh, you know, it's a shame because I think that a lot of a lot of really good stories get lost. I 
totally disagree. I think it's a matter of taste. Um, I, you know, one of the reasons that I, I never really warmed up to the combat mission series um, is that for for me, the the war game I always come back to is close combat. Um, I loved the immediacy of it. Um, and yes, stories get lost, but at the same time, I always found the watching the replays over and over in um, combat mission kind of took me out of the battle. Um, it made it more of an intellectual exercise and less of a visceral experience. And I honestly preferred the... Wait a minute, um, wait a minute. Did you just say you preferred a visceral experience to an intellectual exercise on this podcast? I did. Oh, we're going to have to report you to Tom Chick. Yeah. Go ahead. You're not fired yet. Hey, I'm the shallow no, it's one. That's a good remember? point. And, and I yeah. just just yeah. just to, just to, yeah. to to kind of back roll up on that. I, yeah. I I do completely understand what you're saying, and I mean I see my war games as being, uh, you know, to the extent that something is a war game, I feel like, uh, you know the um, Plotting the turn and you know plotting my strategy is really ninety percent of the fun, and uh, you know I get plenty of visceral visceral enjoyment out of watching you know the stuff unfold and watching the the, the replays. Uh, but I, I mean I can totally see how you know. Uh, yeah, see for me it's it's very just, much you know, about all really instant gratification types and. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just want everything now. I mean, that's, that's just how, you know, that's what that's the rule of I, I, see, I see it more as an issue of flow. Um, I, I really enjoy... I, I, never, I never found a good rhythm with uh, Combat Mission. In, in part, it also allowed me to indulge my worst micromanagerial impulses. Um, I would over-construct my turns, and I just, it, it drove me absolutely insane um, trying to create the perfect maneuver. It, 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 yeah, uh, that game and I had problems that it accessed the worst parts of my personality. But I, I love those moments in these real-time games, in like in combat mission, not in combat mission, close combat, or um, auctioning panzer where, you know, I'm just watching a squad move toward a tree line. And I think I've scouted the tree line, and I turn around to, you know, go give an order to another unit, and I hear an MG-42 just open up and screaming. And for me, that the, the shock of that moment... Um, is, is totally worth it. I, I don't necessarily need to know what exactly happened because I just had the experience of having, you know, a routine infantry advance just turn into bloody mayhem. You can have that happen in combat mission too. I mean, yeah, it, because exactly the, the same thing happened in combat mission. As a matter of fact, it does happen in combat mission. Yeah, because the, 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 the turns play out in real time. I mean, not like you order your turns, but and then everything happens in real time, and you can't interfere. I mean, in a real-time game, you hear the machine gun, you tell your guys to duck, and you move them out. Combat mission, you've got to plan your orders out, and your guys are walking to death, and you can't stop them till that clock's run down. Yeah. Now, that's, that's, that's actually something that I think that, that, that feels right to me, in the sense that, you know, there's no way in, you know, the real land of, you know, getting blown up by Germans, uh, <laughs> that, uh, you know, commanders were able to all of a sudden, you know, control large parts of their their command. Uh, you know, at, at a split second when they saw a, uh, you know, an MG forty two open up. Not that this is all about realism, but anyway. Right, but I mean, as yeah. far as you know, what what feels right. I mean, 
yeah. micromanaging all that stuff doesn't really feel right to me. Now, if there's a lot of micromanaging in combat mission, I mean, yep. you you plan out these you know elaborate assaults, then but then you then you give up control. I think it's I think it's a reasonable trade off. Uh, you know, total control at the beginning and no control. You know when it happens. And that's just Octone Panther's excellent sound, uh, by the way. Excellent what? Sound. Oh, it sounds like it really happened. Yes. No, the, the, the sound design uh, is is uh, probably one of my favorite parts of the game. How the how the battlefield echoes and rings, and you do hear the tanks coming when you can't see them in a nice uh, way. Oh, and it, it, it happens. I mean, oh yes, I know. I'm not saying it didn't happen in combat mission, Bruce. I'm just saying I like that Octane Panzer. Yeah, I mean, one thing one thing I, I miss the combat mission did, and Octane Panzer really doesn't, is um, sound contact. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can yeah. hear them. You can you can you can go. But you're not the sure where they are necessarily. Yeah. Right. It doesn't mark it on the map, and plus, nobody tries to identify. The game doesn't try to identify what the hell you're hearing. Um, so I mean, basically, you've got like it's up, it's down to you to figure out whether or not what you're hearing is a Panzer or a half track, uh, because the game's not going to tell you until it pops out of cover and you're engaged. But one thing I always enjoyed about the combat mission was. Um, you know, troops would troops would like troops would get spooked, and they'd start to hear stuff. Um, you know, where like they, they'd be reporting, you know, a German heavy tank somewhere out beyond the tree line, and then you'd come across it, and you know, of course, it was, you know, it, it was a half track or something. Um, you know, that, that's one they enjoyed. Gets across like the psych- the psychology of like m- like misreported identifications. Yes, but. Uh, so Octane Panzer is very affordable too for anyone who's interested. It's what twenty dollars or something. Yeah, uh, twenty bucks. Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm going to download it probably tonight, which means I'll get to play it in about three weeks. But um, I'm not that big fan of tactical. Uh, talk about not feeling right. Tactical aspects of operational level games. I mean, it just it feels kind of weird. Like I'm, I'm ordering around these. Italians or companies, but I'm looking at this giant map, and it, it doesn't really seem right to me. Hmm. Um, that that's something I really don't, and I don't really know if there's a good sort of a good answer to that, um, a good solution. I think that um, you kind of either have to play play the uh, play the game as an operational level game, or play a tactical game, and not really worry about what what. Uh, you know what happened. I think it's better to tell the story of the little part of the battle that you're. That's what Advanced Squad Leader does so well is that it tells you know you yeah. the little little part of of uh, some larger battle, and it uh, it doesn't really worry about uh, of, you know the, the I mean the bigger context is important, but it doesn't try to it doesn't try to sort of artificially place you there. Right. Uh, and and I'm and I'm really interested. You know, it's too bad Combat Mission Campaigns didn't never came out, but. Uh, um, I mean, that was kind of a different idea, too, but... Um, yeah, I can't imagine how that would have even worked. Yeah, I just... I think that it's really kind of a lost cause trying to uh, trying to um, uh, incorporate a tactical and an operational or strategic level game uh, into the same game. It just doesn't really... And in World War well, II, anyway. Hang on. I mean, I, I think you might be overstating the problem in this case with scale, because you got... The, the the change in scale isn't that big. Like your entire battle area, um, at 
I call it the operational level map, but you're still you're still just a battalion commander, right? You're not you're not dealing with huge swaths of the front. You're dealing with a pretty small area. Like the central feature on a map might but it be. Says you're an army commander. Don't well, start. That's, that's a lie. <laughs> yes. But the central feature on a map might be a you know tiny one horse village on a ridge line, and the entire game is going to be taking this basically you know kilometer or two wide stretch of territory, and you're ordering these companies around through these squares, but it's not like it's not like you're ordering larger, like very large formations around, and then you enter a like totally different level of command okay. in the battle. It's just you're you're, de- you're dealing with the abstractions of these tiny subunit of these subunits on your battalion commander's map, and then once they run into combat, you go and take control at the scene. Yeah, it's, it's, the, the operational, if you even call it operation, is quite small. You're not commanding a huge front or anything, uh, because you are just a battalion commander and not an army commander, no matter what they tell you. Um, so it's not like you are commanding the invasion of Normandy, and now all of a sudden you have to clear out a pillbox or something. Right. Um, okay, that's fine. No, I haven't played the game, so I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. not, I'm, not, I'm uh, not trying to... Uh, one, one, oh, yeah, I, yeah. one thing I should say, though, I mean, prepare yourself for some quirkiness with this game. Um, there, there are some weird bugs. For instance, um, I keep having German tank commanders die at the start of a battle for no apparent reason. They will be, Heart they will be standing. That's what I'm. That's what I'm thinking. Like the game is so realistic, it models yeah. sudden that's good. strokes. No, that is good. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I'm pre- so I'm pretty sure that there's there's some weird little bugs, and I've had like MG teams just decide, ah, hell with it. We're done hauling the uh, heavy machine gun around. We're just gonna we're just gonna huff it for yeah. you know they're not under fire. Sure. No, that's, but. I, I mean, I'm definitely going to play the game and, and, and see what I think. Um, I want to actually answer a question on the air that, uh, as it were, yep. uh, that, that Rob asked me because it may be, may be interesting to listeners. Um, Rob uh, wanted to know uh, about possible uh, uh, you know, written sources in English about, um, uh, about the Battle of Kharkov. And uh, David Glantz wrote a book, and I'm going to – it's uh, like the dis- – I, uh, I can't remember. Hold on. Soviet Defense Operations. I mean, I, I can't remember the name, uh, but uh, I read it a long time ago, um, and I'm going to find the name for you. But uh, the thing that I was going to mention, actually, um, is there's a – David Glantz, which is – by the way, he's pretty much the only historian in uh, – in uh, English that really deals with the Eastern Front uh, currently. Um, what about the, Beaver? Uh, pardon? What about Beaver? Now, Beaver, Beaver wrote a, a Stalingrad book, and uh, that's about it, right? I mean, he right. wrote the Stalingrad book, he wrote the D-Day book. He Berlin. Wrote the, uh, Berlin book. Well, Berlin book's not an Eastern Front book, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, wait. Um, now, how, how can Berlin not be Eastern Front? I mean... Soviets, okay. Germans, that's Eastern Front. Mm, I guess. I guess the late, but you know, a lot of people wrote books about the fall of Berlin. I think is a is a totally different. The fall of Berlin is a totally different. That's uh, true. Different thing. I mean, there's a, what John Toland wrote the book. Uh, I can't remember. It's just, my memory is just completely blown up. Though, I, but I read that one book. Um, uh, he wrote a, this, the fall of Berlin is sort of a, an iconic event that a lot of people have written about. But as far as you know. Battle of Leningrad, um, you know, Harrison Salisbury's classic book, uh, 900 Days, um, 
there aren't really many authors that are writing about. Uh, he, I mean, he's the most important English author or English language author right now. I think um, John Erickson wrote a big uh, Eastern Front uh, compilation. I'm trying to gosh, this is all from memory. Um, and there's one other, there's one other one that I have. Um, of course. Uh, there's another, gosh, I should have written all this down before. I can actually go to my bookshelf, but then I have to get up um, and get off the air. Um, but the, the thing I want to mention was Glantz is writing a trilogy about Stalingrad, um, which is actually really pretty darn good. Um, the first two books are out. I don't know when the third one's coming out. Um, but in the first volume, it's, uh, and I can't even remember what it's called, although it's sitting on my shelf. I just bought it a few weeks ago, and of course I haven't been able to read it, although this this evening, before I sat down uh, for this podcast, I flipped through the um, the Kharkov section, and there's actually a really interesting, uh, you know, several page uh, description of of the second battle of Kharkov, uh, not the third battle. There's a uh, there's a good uh, description of the third battle of Kharkov in John Erickson's um, it's uh, Moscow to Stalingrad and Stalingrad to Berlin. Uh, I think are the two books, um, but um, you know there are a bunch of different um, treatments of the um, uh, of the battles in larger in larger works. Uh, there's a and there's a good book by Glantz about the forty two battle. I don't know that he has a book about forty three. Um, he also wrote a good one about uh, Operation Mars. It's called like Zhukov's biggest defeat or something like that. Um, so basically, you should just uh, Type David Glantz into David M. Glantz into uh, in Amazon, and uh, just see what comes up because that's basically where you're going to find all your English language stuff that's in print these days. There you uh, go. There will be a link to some of Glantz's books uh, once again the Perfect. podcast, and that way you'll be able to find them easily. And it's always good when Bruce recommends books because he doesn't have time to game, but still he finds time to read. Yeah, I don't really have. I mean, all the, all my reading of these things was done, you know some time ago, although uh, I'm really, really looking forward to, uh, I'm going on, well, I'm going on vacation mountain climbing, so I won't be reading any books, Um, but um, I have these fantasies about uh, sort of having a vacation where I can just read a whole bunch of, uh, a whole bunch of Eastern Front stuff that I've got uh, collected, but. Mmm, holiday reading. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love it. It's such, it would be so nice, but uh, not going to happen anytime soon. (laughs) Uh some other business we have to take care of. I uh, had a draw for two copies of Making History. There were a number of entries. The two winners uh, of Making History, the original game, not Making History 2, which will be coming out uh, shortly. The winners are Clifton Jewett and Eric Kranz. They both identified the uh, baseball game as Sherco Baseball Simulation. Oh, uh, Sherco! I love Sherco! I know! We know. We heard happened? the show. Anything about this? I would have won that contest. That what was the, the talking about. The, the the question was a question from uh, three moves. Ahead, it was about making history from three moves ahead history. I the question I asked was what baseball game did you and I talk about? I was surprised anybody played it uh, in the episode we had with Bill Abner, episode twenty two. Sherco baseball okay. simulation was the correct answer. So Clifton Jewett and Eric Kranz, I'll be sending if you know, well, hopefully, the time you hear this, there'll be an email where I ask for your address, and I will mail out the copies of those games. Hopefully, by the end of the week. Uh, next week, 
Don't have a topic chosen yet. Hope we can have you again, Bruce. You're missed. I'm hoping I can. I mean, unless, you know, I end up going off like some other rants like I just did tonight. But uh, If Bruce is it. back, we will have the long-awaited, the long-delayed imperialism show. So is that, so really, is that going to actually happen, you think? And we're not going to have anybody, we're not going to have any guests or anything, do you? Uh, yeah, is it, can't we get somebody that like made imperialism come to talk about imperialism? I tried. I know. I'll, I'll ask, that, 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 that's what they said. They said, well, what do we know? We made the game so many years ago, we've forgotten it all. We'd rather have you guys talk about it. So, huh. that's so, exactly what they said. But, remember, uh, listeners, if you, if you like it when we talk about war games and get into nerdy discussions of, you know, mechanized warfare... Let let Troy know because he's resistant to these topics. Right. Also, if you if you're if you're uh, interested in, to- in uh, us talking about mech warfare, then you should. Uh, we, we'll talk about uh, mech warrior four mercenaries. Mech warrior four or whichever. We should have a we should have a, a program about mech warrior. We should really talk about the novels. Talk about BattleTech. Yeah, because that was a strategy game. Hell yeah, it was. It was yes. So how come we're not talking about it? Oh, and a really good example of like how expanding rules can totally ruin a game. Like a really good example of that. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I I'm all about um, I'm all about us doing a Mech Warrior. Do you think Tom would want to do a Mech Warrior show? He might. Tom's kind of a big Mech Warrior guy, isn't he? Is he? Does he even know I what Mech Warrior is? He probably thinks it's a sport. Yes. Yeah. It's like well, yeah. Well, Mech Warrior Mercenaries was like a sport, right? Because you had you had mechs, and they like were in some kind of like uh, death arena. Like, yeah. Exactly. That's like sports. Tom hates that stuff. You should do another. Tom, yeah. You should do another sports show. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, next week, hopefully, we'll talk about imperialism, and hopefully, we'll have Tom back from his great big business trip to Hawaii. That stupid person. Gets to go Hawaii, and Julian, who is in Amsterdam. Everyone has really? better trips than me. Yeah, I know. So I'm stuck with you guys. Is that really where everybody is? Yeah. Say goodbye, everyone. Good night. Good night, gamers. Oh, that'll give you nightmares. <laughs>